Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Welcome to Strength to Strength. It's a real blessing to be with you here. Um, I wanted to share several verses out of Psalms that are, because of these verses, out of that came the name of Strength to Strength. So out of Psalm 84, I'm going to read several verses here to you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rains also cover it with poles. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And Psalm 84 is just a psalm of, of the psalmist just having this incredible understanding of, of what it is to be God's, of what it is to be God's children. Begins, you know, Psalm 84 with, how lovely is your dwelling place, Yahweh of hosts. Mm. And just on through, just praising God, just speaking prophetically, really speaking reality of what it is to be a Christ follower. Um, and, and, and then just, and then comes this idea of, of from strength to strength. And the, the, the Hebrew word is kazak, from kazak to kazak. And it's this idea of just like uh, an infilling of the Holy Spirit, this divine power that takes us from one level to the next level. And really, um, that's at the heart of strength to strength, is that by God's grace, by the outpouring of his Holy Spirit, that we could do that in these in these days. Uh, we could go from strength to strength. Uh, we know that natural inclination for us as Christians is to go from strength to weakness. Yeah. Now, Paul says in in, Saul, in, 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 in Corinthians that it's in our weakness that God can be strong. And so there's a sense where, yes, our flesh, we need to be weak um, in our flesh and realize that we can't do it. We need God's outpouring of his Holy Spirit. But in that, then we can go, we can do this upward ladder. And so we, our prayer is, is that somehow strength, strength could be a toll in God's hand to be that part of going from Kazakh to Kazakh by, by, by God's grace. And so, um, yeah, welcome here. Uh, to strength to strength here this morning. Um, last, uh, uh, two weeks ago, we had Brother John Dion talking about the new humanity, and it was a great way to start the new year, thinking about the new humanity. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. I, I just, I wasn't able to be on to that call, and I was, went back and listened, or went and listened to it, and it's just a really powerful message. And then this morning, we have Brother Micaiah on here from Denver, Colorado, and he is going to be sharing a very important message needed again as we consider this new year and following Christ in this new year, spiritual disciplines versus spiritual death. And so I know that. <laughs> so um, I've, I've got to meet Brother Micaiah um, this past year. I think it was in June, Micaiah, that you were through State College here. I, I think I'd heard about you before. Uh, maybe you were, I think you were friends with Brother Philip, possibly, and, mm-hmm. um, and you came through our area and spent time in our community. We did some firewood days, and yeah, uh, also, while he was here, I was just remembering this morning, 
that we had a really fun trip up to Coronation Cafe that opened the time that you were here. We we, we left like three o'clock in the morning and drove, I don't know, was it six, seven hours up to Amherst, Massachusetts to Glen, Glen's area, their church and spent a day there at Coronation Cafe getting started. And then we came, we came back in the same day. And so we had a, we had some really, um, from strength to strength times there, uh, on that, on that journey. Um, you shared your, your, um, how you came to Christ from just paganism, um, as a young man, just sold out to the empire, um, to, to being a Christ follower. And that was really, really, really uh, a blessing. And I thought of a picture this morning that I wanted to share with, with the group here. Um, as I thought about that, that trip and here is mm-hmm. Micaiah, um, doing a, um, doing a painting, um, or not painting a, uh, uh, some artwork. He, uh, Micaiah, as you might see at the end of the talk here, we have some pictures of some of the ways that he reaches out to, to people in different cities using art. And here Micaiah is, he, he took that sign and drew this really nice coronation cafe sign. Um, that was really, really, really neat. So Micaiah is, uh, is a gifted, um, brother and, uh, also somebody who's, very interested in being faithful to to King Jesus. So welcome here, Micaiah, and let's just go ahead and, and bow our heads for prayer before we get started. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this privilege of being together here this morning. Father, we truly want to go from strength to strength, mm-hmm. from Kazakh to Kazakh. And Lord, we need the power of your Holy Spirit to do that. There's uh, the, uh, the forces of evil have this terrible allegiance or terrible um, alliance with our flesh. And we so quickly become weak. We so quickly fall away. And we know that we can fall away from you, that we can um, lose that that, that status of, of children, uh, of, of your children, of being part of your kingdom. And so, Father, we we really desire deeply to be faithful to you, uh, to be part of uh, partnering with you, being your ambassadors here on earth, of seeing your kingdoms come, of seeing heaven come to earth. And so, Father, uh, fill us with your spirit. Uh, hear our cry. Um, God and direct us. Bless our brother Micaiah as he shares. Lord, I know that this, this talk has stretched him um, and that he's been up for many hours, most of the night. Father, I pray you give him mental clarity and strength uh, in this time. And, and bless each one on this call and the ones who listen later, Father, and use use this this talk as a toe in your hands to um, uh, to uh, empower your your body on earth. And we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Man, well, God bless you, Micaiah. Uh, we'll turn yeah. it to you. It's an honor to be well, here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I really enjoyed my time with you and the community there when I passed through over the summertime. So this is a treat, a bit unexpected, but uh, I'm I'm glad to be present. And it's interesting that you bring that verse up because I was thinking this morning or actually when I was praying with Gabriel earlier uh, this evening or so that this podcast is called Strength to Strength for a reason. And that's why all of us are here present this morning. It's because we desire to go deeper. We want to forge ahead into the interior of the promised land in our lives. And too often we just cross the Jordan and we set up communities safely on the shore but he wants us to go in and subdue giants. He wants us to take the whole land because they're bred for us. And so I'm, I'm encouraged by the name. It says that they go from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion. It's not just 
um, a nice statement or wishful thinking. It's a statement of truth and fact that everyone in Zion should be and will be going from strength to strength. And so did you want me to introduce myself? Is that kind of what you had said before? Should I say anything that, about that or just move in? That would be great. Yeah, sure. Give us a, a brief introduction there, brother. That would be wonderful. Sure. So I, I grew up in uh, largely in Long Island, New York, and also in Miami, Florida. And at the time of, I'm presently 52, and at the time of the 80s and 90s, um, I was really into BMX bicycle riding that was sponsored. I would do shows and I was into skating and surfing. And generally, the people who are engaged in those type, type of sports, they're, um, they have a pretty rebellious spirit about them. And so I spent my days um, just uh, plunging headlong into things that really plagued me as I grew up, just charting a course of destruction in the broad way that obviously leads to um, death and, and exile from from the Lord. But, um, yeah, I was going out to nightclubs in New York City when I was 18 or 19, still in high school. After moving to Miami, Florida and 1989, um, I started to throw my own parties at nightclubs and I ended up having two businesses that was involved in the fashion industry. And, uh, I was the kind of person where you have to kill me to stop me. I was that driven in my pursuits for, you know, for worldly things. But there was this desire that started to emerge in my heart to live for Yeshua. I had some mustard seeds of faith planted in my heart when I was younger and, uh, that just um, that started to grow in me, and I ended up meeting a man that was uh, was a disciple, like a real dedicated man of the of the Lord. He ended up uh, he lived in New Jersey, was friends with Bon Jovi, which is a big rock band back in the 80s and 90s, and so I could really relate to this man. And so, at any rate, after some pretty intense experiences with with the Father, I decided. Unlike the young rich ruler, I was going to sell out and purchase the pearl of great price because I saw that if if Yeshua or Jesus isn't worth everything, he's worth nothing. So I saw it was really important to lay a hold of these things that can't be taken from me um, and just let go of things, obviously, that I can't keep. I mean, do the math. We all forsake all at one point or another, whether willingly or against our will. So um I ended up becoming a part of a small little community in 1995, of which I'm still a part of. Some people know us as the road ministry or the sojourners, and a lot of that has to do with our commitment to frontline ministry. So our desire is to be about our father's business, and the Great Commission is at the forefront of what we do as a community. And um, and we've seen all the promises of what the father has has um, promised to us. He's promised us provision and and support and i know from the scriptures that he's faithful to do that and not only that this been by his mercy and grace 27 years plus of sojourning throughout the highways and hedges throughout foreign lands and all over the united states and i look back on my life and i say that i've lacked nothing he's really been so faithful to provide everything for me and um, so with that uh, maybe I'll just move on to, uh, to the study or to the message. It's entitled, as you know, um, spiritual disciplines versus spiritual destruction. And you don't have to look far to just see the wreckage 
of people's lives. And I think when Yeshua said to come unto him and to learn of him, um, what he was doing was inviting people into a lifestyle of apprenticeship um, with all of the disciplines, all of the practices, all of the rhythms that were already understood in the cultural life and context of a rabbi and a disciple relationship. And this is worthy of a whole message and study in and of itself, just this dynamic that a rabbi and a disciple had together, unlike the pastor um, congregant relationship. This is very intimate. And so we want to talk about disciplines because this was largely what a, a rabbi did. He taught his disciples to walk in a very disciplined manner of life, not for the sake of discipline in itself, but what it leads to, which was intimacy with the Father. And so there's all kinds of disciplines or spiritual practices um, or formations, whatever you like to call them, but they had to do with prayer and fasting, solitude, silence, simplicity. There's generosity, there's secret almsgiving, and there's purity and sacrifice. There's humility, there's confession, there's study of the scriptures, there's worship, and there's the celebration of joy for what Yeshua has done for us, for what Jesus has done for us, and enjoys a fruit of the Spirit. So that should be something that's really welling up in our lives as disciples and apprentices under the Messiah. Um, so therefore, we can see as his disciples, which has to do with discipline, right, um, the desires to hone in on the importance of these spiritual practices as a means to an end. They're not a uh, an end in and of itself. And so by observation, it's not hard to notice that the children of this world are extremely disciplined in their worldly pursuits. And I'd go to I'd go to say so far to say that they're even more zealous for hell than most believers are for heaven in a lot of areas. And that's a pretty sobering thought. And so it's important that we all have this rule of life, whether we realize it or not. We, we do have one, and that's, you know, from the 50-hour work week to even your morning coffee ritual and what you do. Like, we all have uh, various structures and, and, and order by which we, we govern our lives. And so this is something we, we all have, and the idea is to craft this healthy biblical rule of life where these disciplines of um, – uh, purity and holiness and such are bringing forth life and flourishing in our everyday lives and practice. And again, I should maybe say that these spiritual disciplines are called a rule of life and not rules of life. So it's a skeleton that holds in place all the vital organs uh, and enables the body to function and move about in service to God and to our neighbor. So, um, I think the first one I'd like to look at is is prayer. This is oftentimes a difficult thing for us. And I'd like to just say, what is prayer? Like, where did it come from? How did it start? Um, uh, in the garden, there was no distance between Elohim, between God and Adam and Eve. There was only this intimacy and fellowship with him. If you can imagine what that would be like, where you're walking with him in the cool of the day and just, you know, you're able to give Papa a big hug and he pats your head and uh, it must have been an amazing thing. But yet after the fall, they were exiled and, and that closeness was lost. Um, 
but after the fall, we see God showing up at random times and places, and he, he starts speaking and relating to humanity. And there's people like Cain and Noah. There's Abraham. Uh, Job is just wrestling with with God in such like profound and and almost uh, blasphemous ways at times. You just see him pouring out his heart with confusion. Moses is led to uh, bring forth his people out of the land of Egypt. He doesn't feel qualified, but nonetheless, there's this dynamic that goes back and forth. And then there's David and Solomon and the prophets and Jonah. Um, so there's all these different ways in which these people prayed and related to, to God. And there's just oftentimes we, uh, we can see there was some kind of offering or sacrifice at the heart of their devotion and the act of worship and dedication, or in the case of like this covenant commitment and covenant loyalty that they were fulfilling. And in the temple times, there were different kinds of sacrifices that were offered there. There were sacrifices for sin where um, one would repent and mourn for their transgressions against Elohim and Others were peace offerings that expressed gratitude and, and goodwill. Uh, and then there was the whole burnt offering, which were the, they were for purposes of worship and, and dedication and gratitude. There was also others of consecration, national atonement, and so on. But these were all, no doubt, accompanied by prayer. Um, and there's this interesting side note. You see the martyrs in the book of Revelation as they were under the altar. And that's really a strange place for someone to be, uh, wouldn't you think? I mean, what are they doing under the altar? And um, it's uh, it's an amazing place to be and a beautiful place to be if you consider that what was on the altar and then what was under the altar. And you can see the wholeness of their lives were offered up as a, a burnt offering and a sweet smelling savor unto the most high. And again, what was underneath the altar was ashes. So everything went up as a dedication and devotion to Elohim. And in the Torah, the the Hebrew scriptures, those ashes were not thrown away. They were gathered and put into a holy place, a consecrated place. Um, And so here we're told in the scriptures that whatsoever things were spoken or written aforetime were written for our learning and i can see that these temple rituals are to teach us something about prayer about sacrifice about devotion and the temple actually is a replica of eden it was a consecrated place where where god met with his people it was flourished with palm trees and fruits and flowers and trees so it's kind of a bit of a replica of eden where we get to go back and experience a little bit what that was like Um, and so i think we should just get creative in prayer and look to the patterns and template of ancient biblical practices that were seen in god's people right so two specific offerings were the um were the Tamid offerings, which meant continual. And they took place in the morning and they took place at about the ninth hour, roughly three o'clock-ish or so. And these were continual burnt offerings of a lamb of the first year. And this was every single day without intermission. 
And this prayer rhythm was the heart of God's people. In fact, there were these amazing things that took place during the time of the ninth hour. For example, there was the showdown between Elijah and the false prophets and the fire fell from heaven and it consumed the sacrifice entirely. And there there was a, a national acknowledgement that the God of Israel was the true God. And then Daniel prays at this time, at the time of the, the sacrifice, this latter sacrifice, and he receives a visitation from the angel telling him about the Messiah and the destruction of the temple. Ezra points to this time and his heart is just poured out in prayer to, to God. Yeshua, Jesus, he actually died at the ninth hour. So the very time that the priests were offering up this daily sacrifice, he was offering up his life. And then there's Peter and John who go up to the temple being at the ninth hour of prayer, which was actually, we're told, the hour of prayer. And they heal a lame man. And this swings the door wide open for them to testify about about the Messiah. Um, And then, of course, last but not least, there's Cornelius, and who at the set time uh, prayed. And he also received a visitation from the angel. And the door of faith was open to non-Jews in a very dramatic way. And this was fulfilling the promise to Abraham through the Messiah that in his seed shall all the nations of the world be blessed. Uh, Daniel played three, prayed three times a day. And David said, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. So I'm sharing these things only as a template and pattern in how to better order our lives in healthy ways where we can practice more fidelity. In, in our prayer rhythms and in our daily lives. And this daily rhythm of prayer is, is all about fidelity. It's about faithfulness to our creator, to our father. And it's like a marriage. If you can imagine, if you don't spend quality time with your wife or with wives, with their husbands, there's not going to be much of a relationship and things are surely going to break down. Um, and so I believe prayer is this human desire to reach out and to communicate with our father. Um, and prayer is to see our need and our longing and to commune with him as a son or a daughter would simply commune with their father. And I also see prayer as a search for help and intimacy outside of ourselves. Um, we're more inclined, as I think all of us could probably attest to that we do more of the work of Martha. We busy ourselves with with her work than the work of Mary. And it's actually Mary's discipline to sit at Yeshua's feet that he uses actually as an object lesson to teach us about the priority to still ourselves and to read, to pray, to listen to him. Um, So here, here's a, a kind of a, a challenge and not to challenge you just to be challenged, but actually to challenge people in hopes that they would take up the challenge and be changed. Like imagine if we prayed in the same manner that the Anabaptists put their hands to the work of their livelihood and building projects. Imagine what that would look like, right? If our brows were just full of sweat from being bowed over in prayer. And I believe Epaphras had this, work of prayer embedded in his soul. I mean, it says that he was a servant, that he um, that he labored in prayer. Uh, 
earnestly for the Colossians that they'd stand perfect and complete in all the will of, of Elohim. And I read something some time ago about these four postures of prayer that we could be in. And one of my brothers, he said, there's really a fifth one to that. But the first posture of prayer is, is likened to sailing where the spirit is really in our, in our sails. We're going forward. Things are just progressing. We're blessed. And then the second one is of rowing, which we're still making progress, but it takes a lot more effort and energy. The fourth one is drifting where there's a bit of a apathy about where we're at. We're slowly kind of moving away from rhythms that we once had or intimacy with the father. The fourth could be bailing where the ship is getting lots of water and it's time to do something. Panic may strike you and um, you got to make some really serious changes. And then the fifth is is sinking where you just have no care about your faith. And um, there's just overthrow in your life and you don't care about it. And I can see that we all love to speak about God, don't we? We we talk about him. We sing about him. There's endless podcasts. There's sermons. There's libraries full of books and commentaries. But it's actually time that we start to practice these disciplines that we know. And uh, there's, you know, this account where the disciples, I just want to read it. It says, and it came to pass that he was praying in a certain place when he ceased One of his disciples said unto him, Adonai, or Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And so the question here is, is it that these Jewish men didn't know how to pray? I mean, their whole lives were governed by rhythms of prayer and Shabbat or Sabbath rest, synagogue service. And three times a year, they marked on their calendar that they were going to meet with their father, with Abba. They were going to come as a as a nation to worship and get together as a family. So these people definitely, the disciples knew how to pray, but, uh, and even they knew, some of them knew John's prayer because Andrew was a disciple of John. And so what is it that they're really getting at? And when you understand this rabbi discipleship apprentice, there were lots of rabbis. There was nothing wrong with that in times past. Um, this is how the teacher of, of Israel taught people. They apprenticed under them and their whole desire was to, to be like them, to emulate them. Um, it says the disciples not above his master nor the servant above his Lord, but everyone that will be perfect will be as his master and as his Lord. So that was the disciple rabbi dynamic. Paul is saying, be followers of me, even as I am Messiah. So it was really embedded in the culture. But it's I think it's understood that these rabbis had a very specific prayer that they would teach their disciples. And it was as if it was a nucleus of everything that they were about, like summed up in something really concentrated. And so what the disciples are asking is, what is the thrust of of our ministry, of your message? What is it that you want to embed in us and teach us? And then he gives the Avinu or the Our Father prayer, right? And it's all about the sanctification of of God's name in the earth and in our lives. It's about um, 
It's about his mission. It's about his kingdom that it would come on earth as it is in heaven. Our lives, our lives as disciples should really manifest that, that it's a preview of what God's rule and reign is going to look like on earth in his people. And there's just provision for daily bread, which takes us back to the Exodus that we've kind of come out of Egypt and we're moving and progressing towards this land of promise. There's, there's just so much there that we could dig into if we understand some of the design patterns in the Torah. Um, uh, I could see also that, um, like if you look at Lazarus as a character sketch as well, where at times we, we seem to be in spiritual, spiritual decay and deadness and, Many of us can definitely relate to this, where we feel dead and complacent and we're just sealed up in our tombs and we're stinking. Um, there's no pre- pleasant aroma that's coming forth from our lives. And, um, but we see like the Messiah saying, like, come, Lazarus, come forth. He commands him and, and he also tells those present to just basically bind you know loose him and, and shed these grave clothes so he's going from death to life and that's what he's calling us out of we also see in ezekiel 37 there's this valley of dry bones and we start coming together in the flesh and the sinews appear and uh it's like a uh it's like it's like eden where there's this lifeless form where god really in-depthly and hands-on just creates and forms and fashions man, but there's no there's no breath in him. And so he blows into his nostrils his very own life force, and he becomes a living soul, animated and with characters like his creator and where there's a relationship. And so there's this beautiful picture in Ezekiel 37 where these bones are coming together and flesh is is coming on the bones, and but there's no life. It's just a corpse. And Ezekiel is, is commanded to prophesy unto the four winds and these winds blow. And in Hebrew, the name, uh, uh, Ruach or spirit is the same, uh, as wind and breath. So he's commanding the spirit to come and blow into them. Of course, they, they stand aright. Life is, is breathed into them. And there's this exceeding great army. Um, and, uh, again, that's, you see also with the Messiah, he breathes on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So that's what we want to do. We want to petition God in prayer more and more because his life force needs to go into us. We're too complacent. We're too deadened. And it's high time to just awaken to righteousness and sin not. And we just see so much wreckage around us because people are not engaging in the labor of prayer. Um, and then there's fasting. I mean, fasting is something that we're kind of commanded to do. And why do we do this? And I think it has to do with abstinence from food and other things for the purpose of crying out to God for some important reason, like to lay hold upon the fringe of, of his garment in a sense in total faith and utter desperation. Uh, I just, uh, I don't see this being done in a time of joy. Like if the bridegroom's with you, you're, you're rejoicing. It's a time to, to be excited. But when the bridegroom's taking from you, obviously there's going to be a time of sorrow and fasting. So in searching the scriptures, I can see there was, um, 
fasting that was done as a means of preventing national destruction. You see that in the case with Nineveh and with Joseph, Jehoshaphat when his enemies came against him. There's a national day of fasting and prayer. It's called Yom Kippur. It literally means the day of covering where the high priest went in alone uh, with the blood to make atonement for the whole nation. And I think it's also used as a weapon of sorts where evil spirits will come out of those who are possessed by means of fasting and prayer. And it also may be used in regards to healing a dying mother um, or the conversion of a friend or for the revival of our own life and the restoration of our communities. I mean, we just really need to lay hold of, of what this is and uh, to focus on a single mind and simply just draw close to our creator. Um, so may he help us to see the importance of this practice and discipline more in our lives so that we'll put it to use. And you don't have to pray for 40 days. Uh, you could start small. You could skip a meal. You can abstain from too much busyness and just read the word and pray. Take little steps. And this will cause you to go forward and, and grow in this. Um, uh, also, there's this thing called silence and sol- solitude. It's it's also one of the disciplines. And again, looking at Martha and Mary, uh, we could also see this in Elijah where he just was called to go and get away in the wilderness and he was able to hear this still small voice. So what does this look like? Go for a walk, um, sit somewhere, surrender yourself to the silence and solitude of a peaceful place, take inventory of your life and your thoughts and ask him to speak to you. There was one man who was encouraged to do this and he thought, man, if I just ask Elohim, if I ask God to speak to me, he's just going to show me all of my sins and it's going to be, I'm already dealing with all of my sins. They're ever before me. It's, it's tragic. I walk with a limp because of them, but he was so surprised that when he did this, like God just lavished love and affirmation and support on him. It was totally the opposite of what he expected. Um, So we have a hard time with this. We generally like to be busy, but just to practice this faithful discipline, uh, I think it's been said that if you practice a a habit for about three weeks, it becomes um, just engaged in, in, in forms in your muscle memory, where again, it could be just like your morning coffee routine each day. You get into these rhythms of um, of doing these things. And I think fasting just gives us a lot of clarity and vision that can come from these things. And that's why Shabbat or Sabbath is a slowing down. It's, it's subversive to all the bitterness, bitterness, the busyness of life's demands. It's like an oasis in time that points to a future hope and all the promises of our arrival into the Father's bosom. So let's kind of see this for what it is and the benefits of it. Again, it's it's a means to an end. It's not some drudgery that we 
should be doing. And you can do it based on wherever you're at in your life. And it may change, you know, for young people, it may be one thing. And for older people, it may be another. And it's going to morph and change based on your needs. Um, so there's also this thing called community. <laughs> and I believe that that Elohim established community for our health and for our growth and spiritual lives in our lives and for all of us to dwell together in the unity of the faith and that his spirit would take up residence in us like how it did in the book of Acts. There's this secular agenda, whether you realize it or not, and it's to colonize the church. And if you look at Samson as a character sketch of of the church or even an individual congregant, you see here's this man that was uh, consecrated unto unto God. He was a Nazarite, a Nazir, and that has to do with to be separate, to be consecrated for a very specific pur- purpose. This was seen in Samuel and John the Baptist. And uh, so he had this great strength. I mean, he's tearing apart lions. He's sharing the sweetness of his victory with others. He slays a thousand men with the jawbone of a, of a donkey. He's ripping off gates from city walls. There was no stopping this man. And one of the characteristics or outward characteristics of a Nazarite was that he was supposed to let his hair grow long. And that was wherein his strength lied. Now, it wasn't necessarily that he had strength because of his long hair. It was what his hair represented. And that was a consecrated life to God. And the enemy seeks to find where is his great strength? Find out where we could bind him and afflict him. And they employ a woman named Delilah. Now, do you know what her name means in Hebrew? It's really fascinating. It means feeble. So here you have the world's strongest man in one corner pitted against the most feeble woman in comparison. And the victory obviously is going to go to the champion Samson, but we can't underestimate the wiles of the adversary. Um, We know that he flirted with sin and temptation and he was bound and afflicted. He had his his eyes put out. So uh, whereas he should have been binding the strong man, he now is bound and he's suffering. His eyes are put out. He has no vision. He's being made a mockery. And isn't that how it always happens? Christians fall and the world just mocks them and uh, uses them as sport and uses it as an accusation to prove the falsehood of Christianity and what have you. But his hair begins to grow. And again, the hair is symbolic of his consecration. And he's brought out to be made sport or mockery before his enemies. And he does this interesting thing. He asked a young lad to show him where the pillars of the house rest upon. And this is what we need to know. We need to know where these pillars are of the adversary, even in our own lives, where he has a stronghold on us. And when he does this, when he finds those pillars, he prays and he bows himself with all of his might and he pushes them down. And he had destroyed more of his enemies in his death than in his life. And that's how it is when we really die to ourselves. 
we can get the mastery and the victory over over these enemies. And so we need to band together in, in really taking the kingdom by force. Again, the secular agenda is to colonize us, is to get us to conform and to find our weakness. And we need to be forging into the interior and possess more of the promised land. We have to encourage one another in this. Um, it's, again, all too common that we cross the Jordan and just set up happy little communities on this little victory. And we have got to forge into the interior. They're bread for us. We're told that God is with us. And having that same faith like Caleb and Joshua, um, we as a community have been really inspired by the model and inspiration found in Acts 2 and 4. Um, from the beginning there, we see the Gospels as the blueprints and Acts as the building projects. Um, and we could see how they, they were in unity. They allowed the spirit to move radically in their lives in so much that they counted nothing dear to themselves. I mean, Yeshua was everything to them, really. I mean, they you had men. OK, you had people forsaking houses and lands in order to save themselves from this untoward generation. It actually says that with many other words did he testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. So there was a lot more said in the sermon. And generally, um, men and women would not leave their father's house until they were married, says, you know, man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife so those that were actually selling out were not single people because in that culture there was a very strong family bond and if you can imagine people with houses and lands obviously had wives and children on them so they just didn't make excuse they threw in all of their resources to forward this search and rescue mission to be the kingdom of god the rule and reign of messiah in their community. Um, and again, we're supposed to be this preview of what this looks like on earth as it is in heaven. Um, it's about the gospel of the kingdom. I mean, the resurrection of the Messiah didn't even take place when he was preaching about this gospel. Like, what is the good news? Well, I mean, the long anticipated king of all the earth has come and he's calling us to these rhythmic disciplines of loyalty and sacrifice and service. Um, and so our community should be a city of refuge where we're welcoming in those who are fleeing from the hand of the slayer. We're to be like lively stones, a temple where we're offering up spiritual sacrifices. We're a kingdom of priests. Imagine if someone were try this next time when they ask you or someone asks you, what is your religion? You can say, well, I'm a priest of the Most High God. And if you can think about priests, how consecrated they were in their service, they would wash themselves um, and dip in what's called a mikvah, which was a baptismal pool to be in a spiritually um, or ritually cleansed state. Uh, they taught the people. They made atonement and sacrifices. So they had a very high level of consecration in their midst. And we are called to be a kingdom of priests. And what does that look like for our daily lives? Like get creative. Think about waking up each morning um, and washing your hands in a sense from, from evil and clarif- uh, purifying your heart. Uh, 
offering up sacrifices of repentance and like how we talked about in the beginning about the temple rhythm and uh, of sacrifice and prayer and such like we need to get more excited about you know employing these biblical patterns that we see they're all over the place we should take advantage of them um so and again in our communities we're going to be known as his disciples if we have this fervent love for one another otherwise we're just a bunch of of noise we're just banging symbols together and there's not even a rhythm to it it's just uh it wrecks everything and that's that's something that i pray that we could have more of I feel also that in community that young men and women need to feel that they're doing something for the kingdom. Too often the older men just take charge and they rush ahead. But um, we can't despise their youth and their passion. Uh, oftentimes the youth will have a zeal. Sure, they may lack some knowledge because they're new to this. I mean, But the older folks, they have a knowledge, but they lack zeal. And so the idea is to have both the young people row and at times the older members steer. Um, so we need to really, as older men, walk alongside the youth and dream with them. You know, I just want to share a few more things before we close up. But um, in community, um, as followers of the Messiah, we are going to suffer opposition and persecution. And there's two forms of persecution. One is the hard power form of persecution. And then there's the soft forms of persecution. And the hard power forms would obviously be things like ISIS and living in a communist country and having to suffer martyrdom for your faith. But then there's this soft power form of persecution where there's things like affluence where the cares and the pleasures and the deceitfulness of riches are like thorns that that choke you. And if you can imagine having someone's hand around your throat, like choking you, you would say that that person was trying to kill you. And so we need to wake up and it's a reality that wealth and affluence is going to choke you out. The deceitfulness of riches are going to stunt your growth because you cannot serve two masters. So that's something we have to wrestle with. Oftentimes, um, the Sermon on the Mount is often preached. Things like enemy love and <clears throat> and uh, not swearing oaths and things of that nature. But there's almost a whole half chapter that speaks about the impossibility of serving both God and mammon. And so I was a high priest of mammon in times past, and I saw that it was going to lead to utter death and destruction and misery. And so I chose simply to um, give Caesar the goods, and, and the Lord got my soul. I thought it was a, a pretty good deal. <clears throat> but so we see affluence, amusement, porn is another thing that is wreaking havoc on young men in the churches. Um, that Samson can also be used as a character sketch of um, what happens to young men or men in general. And uh, there's apathy that seeps in as another form of soft power persecution. Um, so that's what 
kind of that entails. But then there's this other form of soft power persecution that's totally flying under the radar. And it's the eternal or internal, I should say, persecution of the church against itself. Right. There's bitterness. There's divisions. There's splits. Church is riddled with that. And you're not letting go of one another's throats because of grudging. And this is a form of persecution that the church inflicts upon itself. And we're told not to be ignorant of the adversary's devices in this area. But yet, you know, pride and frustration, they just cause us to smite one another with the tongue of gossip and slander. And the bride's dress is torn. And we need to pull out the needle and thread and start mending it so that we don't get our lamps stand taken away. You know, he's not going to come back for a divided community. And I understand there's certain things where we need to divide from. Certain things are not healthy. But generally speaking, the desire is to have unity. And and that's challenging, I understand. But it does talk about until we all come into the unity, the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of Man, that all these attributes and, and goodness would be just welling up in us. And uh, there's one more verse I want to share. I know I've downloaded a lot with you, and I hope that you're able to ruminate on these things and let the water sink deep into your soil. But there's this passage in Jeremiah 31, and I just want to read it. I think it's it's worthy of consideration. It's in chapter 31, starting in verse 10 of Jeremiah. And it reads, Hear the word of Yahweh, all ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together to the goodness of Yahweh for weed and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd. And their souls shall be as a watered garden and they shall not sorrow anymore at all. This is the chapter that later on talks about the new covenant where his word would be written in our hearts as commandments and etched in there, be our nature to do these things. And so um, uh, it's said in this passage to hear the word and to declare it and say unto the the nations that the sheep are going to be gathered together. They're going to be protected. They're going to be redeemed. They're going to be ransomed. And therefore, because all of these promises of being gathered together, uh, protected, redeemed and ransomed, they're going to come willingly. They're going to sing for joy of these things in the height of Zion. This is the apex of God's dwelling place. And they're going to flow together to the goodness of the Lord. So singing in the height of Zion will only happen when we're flowing together towards the lowest place. Because there's a force behind a river that makes it flow in a downward position. And in all humility... If we can allow this force to cause us to flow together, there's so many benefits that we'll be able to partake of. And obviously, 
um, streams flow, rivers flow to the lowest place, which is the ocean. It's the lowest of all places. And, and there is the blessing where clouds, you know, there's this verse I really like. It says, if the clouds be full of rain, then they empty themselves upon the earth. And so clouds are like water tanks. They're filled with water from evaporation. And we need to be clouds with water, not without water blown about by a tempest. Because when our clouds are filled with water, then we could be blown by the spirit in the courses and directions that God ordains for it. And we could pour upon the barren land life. We could give life to people. And so, yeah, just flowing together, humility, evaporation, clouds, um, our, our communities need to be healthy and flourishing. And this is not just a challenge where next week you forget all about it. This is a call to accept the challenge and to change. And I want myself, I speak these things not as an expert. I have great need in practicing these things myself, but it's stirring in my heart and in my community that we're praying more. We, we gather together six days a week, five days um, or four days. We're generally reading through a book of the Bible each morning at eight o'clock. And then what we do is expound on it. We're praying, we're reading, we're expounding on the scriptures, going deep. One day a week, we're trying to have an intense time of prayer. Uh, and then one day a week, we're having a meeting where a message and a study is given. And so we're trying to get deeper in these rhythms because the time is at hand. It's a late hour and we need him desperately. We need like that woman that was hemorrhaging for 12 years that was so ostracized from all the benefits and blessings of temple worship, of nearness to to God. She couldn't come in and sit, sit at someone's table. Everything she sat on was unclean. We need that desperation to just lunge, to just break through the crowds. I mean, the crowds get in the way a lot of times. Um, here's this woman. She, you know, pushes through the crowd. She wanted a drive-by healing, but she had to go public. She, Everyone she touched was ritually unclean, and that's why she came trembling. But virtue went out of Yeshua, went out of Jesus. And he called her a daughter. He said, great is your faith. And it's interesting because of the fringe, which was on the border of the garment, it was symbolic of all the commandments of the Lord. And one of the commandments, I was thinking about this today, it was really fascinating. One of the commandments in Exodus, I think it's 15, is it's said that I am the Lord God that heals you. So this woman is looking at that fringe, which has that blessing, that promise. I am the one that heals you. And she's thinking if in all this desperation, if I could reach out and touch the what's called the tzitzit, the fringe of his garment, there's going to be health and healing. And sure enough, it happened. So we need, again, that desperation to just purge uh, ourselves from things and distractions and get just to the innermost circle of the Messiah. And uh, there's surely good things that are going to happen. So let's go forth with strength to strength. Go forth in confidence because he's faithful who promised. He really is.
And so that's a lot. And thank you for your time. I hope it's a blessing. So uh, we're going to open it up here for question and answer real soon. Uh, one, one question I got for you here. Um, I think that probably the the area the area of the spiritual disciplines that I need to grow in is is the, the um, it pushing into this prayer and silence and solitude thing. Yeah, it's hard for us. Yeah, and especially you know live a live a busy life, and it's easy to get wrapped up, like you said, in the cares of the world, and mm-hmm. just uh, so quickly. Do you have any like just good practical um, things for someone who's feeling that need in their life to like to to push into this? Um, any any pointers or tips that could help? Yeah, I I do. I I want to quote a man by the name of Dallas Willard who wrote a lot about spiritual disciplines and and practice them pretty religiously uh, i haven't read his book but um there's a famous quote where someone was asking him uh what do i have to do to obtain or live a spiritually healthy life and he seemed to have studied to answer and after a long pause he said you need to just ruthless uh what was it um where is it uh to have a ruthless elimination of hurry from your life. And if our focus is on the kingdom, we're going to pause and we're going to make time. That's what Shabbat Sabbath is all about. It's an oasis in time where we are just time's not ours. It belongs to him. And it's a time to marinate in his goodness and just shed the cares of this life. So I think simplifying our lives can really help out in that area. Um, I know that's, I know that's hard. A lot of men just work a lot. They have businesses and families. So I get it, but um, we gotta again, ruthlessly lay the ax to the root of certain things that are choking out our spiritual lives. Cause if not, we're not going to be fit for the kingdom. Like this is a do or die situation. It's dire. Yeah, thanks. Um, sure. Also, something I wanted to, I wonder if I want to sh- uh, share my screen here and show you. Um, can you see this um, Christian oh, book? There's a book yeah, here, yeah, yeah, Live yeah. No Lies by John Mark Comer. So, yes. yeah, actually, Brian Martin just recently recommended this book to me. And sure, I, sure. I, I listened to it on Audible and, and I got the book. I got the book in a paper form too, just because I thought I, I needed to have it. So I'm yep, guessing yep. maybe you've read this book, Micaiah, or uh, I have it. I, have, I haven't finished it yet, but I'm familiar with yeah. John Mark Comer. I've been to his church uh, quite a bit actually when I was in Portland, and he, I think, is really spearheading among with a lot of other people in his camp the uh, the spiritual disciplines. In fact, I think he he he. Re- Kind of taken a big sabbatical from pastoring his church so that he could write a lot of books about this because he sees it's a real need. And when you have a culture that is the just do it culture where there's no uh, restraint, there's no abstinence, there's no sexual um, uh, purity and uh, an ethic in their lives, uh, you, you see the wreckage of that, especially in the Christian life. 
that it's time to get back. You know, too often I think it was categorized as a works-based salvation. And, but discipline and holiness is something that is all throughout the scriptures. And we're called to that. And it has to do with action. We just can't believe and know these things. We have to put them into practice. <laughs> That's why the, the, uh, the book after John is called the book of Acts because it's all about motion and movement. And there's a ministry, I don't know much about it. It's called Acts 29. And I really like the name of that because Acts was not supposed to start, stop with Acts 28. We're a continuation of the story. So I really like that, that, uh, that name and that concept. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So just for anyone else on here, I would highly recommend this book as a, as a, um, as a way to, to challenge you some more on some of these spiritual disciplines. Okay. Um, oh yeah, we did. I, I do want to open it up now for any. Uh, so if any, anyone has questions related to Micaiah's what he shared here, and then we also have a few pictures I want to show a little bit later on. But open it up here for questions if anyone has questions or comments here. Yeah, I'm going to say I appreciated the exhortation this morning, and it was needed in my life. And I just kind of feel like the disciples did at times when Jesus explained something profound or said Mm -hmm. something profound. Their response was, Lord, increase our faith. That's kind of how I feel after this. Yeah. Wow. Well, faith is the catalyst, or I should say love is the catalyst that causes our our faith to work, right? If you love me, keep my commandments. So, yeah, we really need an increase in our love for him. Again, if if he's not worth everything, he's worth nothing. He's not going to take second place, and he's to mammon or to our desires or amusements or pleasures he wants first place it's understandable he he gave too much not to have that he loves us too much for us to just soak in things that really are killing us Thank you, Makai, for your encouraging words this morning. Um, Joy. I really appreciated the analogy of the sailing, rowing, drifting, thinking. And I can, mm-hmm. prayer is an area of my life that I, I, I really need to work on. And I can see different times throughout my life where I've been doing those different things, including the bailing and the sinking. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I get it. I have, uh, some friends that I was spending some time with recently and one of them, uh, I, I think it came up about, you know, just prayer time and finding that time in the morning and it, it repeated uh, response that he's given is that he just, he's afraid of forcing it. He wants it to come naturally. And I think mm-hmm. that that's led to um, really a lack of, of discipline overall because he just, he doesn't want to force it. And I'm mm-hmm. trying to find maybe gentle ways of, of encouraging him in that direction. I think the analogy is a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what other ways, um, might you recommend to, to gently encourage somebody into, into that discipline? 
Well, I think the gospel is all about an invitation. I mean, Messiah is just saying, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, like the yoke of the kingdom, and learn of me. Again, there's that disciple-rabbi relationship. Um, he talks about his yoke being easy and light, his burden light. So the gospel is not a full frontal attack. It's an invitation. And I think as believers, we have to present the gospel as something beautiful. I mean, we find the Messiah. Oftentimes we see these tracks where it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And that is an invitation to the unbeliever, but really it's an invitation to a wayward church that's rich and increased with goods and have lack of nothing. And they know not their state that they're poor and blind and wretched and miserable. And he's counseling them to, um, to put on different garments that anoint their eyes with ISAB that they may see because their garments are, uh, they're tattered. They're spoiled. Their riches are moth-eaten and cankered. And there's no other place in scriptures that I know about where, I mean, it says to repent, to return, but there's no other place in the scriptures that it says to be zealous and repent. And that's a sobering thing that we need to return to our first love. And, and we need to be hospitable to, to Yeshua, to Jesus. He's just knocking at the door. He wants to be let in. And the fact that he's outside is pretty dangerous. Like, what is he doing out there? He's supposed to be at the center of our community and lives. So I think just looking at the gospel as as an invitation, um, people have been just battered and 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 wounded with with Yeshua's teachings taken out of context. But that would be something that uh, I would advise. Looking at the promises. Because um, the good news doesn't spread through through force, but through fascination, uh, spreads through creative means of touching people's hearts and just doing things. It just catches them off guard. Like God's always surprising us. I mean, He does does these amazing things that we've taken for granted. We see it every day, like a ball of fire just comes up in the east and sets in the west, and He just does it again and again and again. If you were to see it for the first time, you would, you would just be awestruck. But, you know, we see these things so often that we just forget how wonderful a world we live in and how good and benevolent our Father is. Hey, thanks, everyone, for this. Um that has shared here. Uh, we do have, like you, you, you mentioned there, Micaiah, um, how do you say that the gospel should be spread by fascination, not force? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a <laughs> wonder. <laughs> Good, I like that. Um, so Glenn has some pictures he's going to put up here of some, okay. some ways that you have done that. And I'm not sure how, I, I guess, well, we could put them up and you can give any comments you want to. Oh, sure. Okay. Oh, interesting. So that was, that was pretty interesting. What happened was I was doing outreach with other brothers and sisters in Santa Barbara, California, and it was at a university where there were 20 plus thousand people. And there was an outreach of young people that on Friday nights, they would have a message 
for about an hour, but they had an hour of worship and we would go there. And afterwards, they lived on a road when there was where there was literally thousands of kids walking up and down this road, uh, drunk on drugs, seeking to um, meet women and so forth. And, and they just presented themselves as a, uh, a bit. They're trying to redirect traffic, basically a yard from hell. And so we would go there and one night while they were, it was a Friday night, while they were having this meeting, there were some gunshots. And when all was said and done, I think there was about six students that were killed. And the driver or the shooter, I should say, he was driving. He killed himself about 300 yards away. So the next day, there's just news reporters everywhere, people in the streets. There's memorials and flowers and messages and people were writing things with chalk. And so what I did was I went into the midst of a crowd and in cursive, I just wrote two words, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And I didn't say anything. I just let that speak for itself. And then I went around at night just writing Jesus wept. And at one point there were these two, two people, a man and a woman, and they came up to me and they said, what is this all about? I've been seeing it all over the place. And I said to them, well, when a catastrophe like this happens, God's not indifferent to it. Like when when we weep, he weeps with us. And I saw that it was so touching to them that I thought to myself, wow, this could really be a means of just getting people's attention. So I ended up coming back to the same place next year, and I did that. And after that, I ended up later on going to um, New York City. And that's where that that one was done in a place called Washington Square Park. Um, we also did some in a place called Union Square Park, where thousands of people would walk by and they'd see these being done. They take about five hours and they're rather large. And it just creates uh, interest. What is this about? What are you guys about? They see us with, you know, beards and tunics and women that are modestly appareled and it, they're, they're just arrested with fascination. And so it's proven to be a really amazing means to do outreach. It's a safe place. People inquire and we just get to tell them about how good and wonderful and beautiful our, our master is, our God. And so that's kind of how some of that was birthed. That was in New York City on the Williamsburg Bridge. You could see the Empire State Building in the background. And that was just a sign that I had painted. And there's a bike stand there. And there's so many bicycle commuters, commuters coming back and forth that we would just fix people's bicycles. And it was a means of outreach. Sometimes they give us donations. It was kind of donation based. We weren't charging. And it was a nice means to meet people and talk to them and share with them the love of Christ. Oh, that was in Egypt. We traveled Israel for uh, a total of almost five and a half months. And you get three months in Israel. You have to leave. Then you get to come back. So we went into Egypt. Uh, we toured the whole country again of Israel. We probably saw more of Israel than most Israelis have. Went into Egypt. The oppression of Egypt is still present where the desire of God is to let them go. Because they seem to be held in oppression. So we're able to witness and spend time with Bedouins and just people from all over the world were in the location we we kind of camped out at or lived in for a while. That was also in Egypt. We 
have a fondness of spending time with children. So, uh, you know, most, most of the men, um, the Egyptian men don't seem to have an affection or care for their children. So we just, you know, it was in our heart to show kindness to them. <laughs> that was in Israel. <laughs> I often traveled with a sign that said, what are you living for? That uh, provokes a lot of thought and, and good discussion kind of gets right down to the heart and, and foundation of, of what they're building their lives upon. So this was an Israeli that we talked to. That's Gabriel. Me and him have, or him and I have done just a lot of exploits throughout the world and throughout the United States. He's a dear, dear brother of mine. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't really have a specific question, but yeah, I just want to thank you, Micaiah, for uh, sharing this morning. And there's a lot of um, very profitable and practical um, advice that you gave there. So I appreciate that. My pleasure, Joy. Can I ask what the Hebrew was on the first sidewalk graphic you made? Oh, I'm glad you asked. It just says Yeshua, Jesus, which means salvation. Above, I think later on I put Jesus in English just above it. it. The photo didn't have that. It was really interesting because a man from the Netherlands that was a pastor was taking photos of those. And at the time, there was three of them because they only last as long as it doesn't rain. So there was no rain for a while. And he stood there at night and was taking photos. And I asked him if he knew what the Hebrew said. And he did. I think because it said Jesus above it. And he said that he was going to be in the Netherlands uh, earlier that week or later that week. And he was going to give a message about that stuff. So it was really amazing. Um, he sent me a link and it was all in Dutch, but there was photos of myself and of calligraphy that was done. And then when we went, we were in Europe first for three months and went to Israel and we showed up at his church. And I think he was just shocked. He couldn't believe it. He ended up taking us in for a week so we could pray and fast and get ready before we headed over to Israel. So that was a, a unique encounter that was a big blessing for us. Well, very good. Uh, thank you, brother, for the challenge. And like you said, um, we... We can be just challenged or we can be changed. Yeah. yeah. And may God change us in more into his His image. And he uses the spiritual disciplines in, in these ways to change us. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I do want to welcome you all back to the uh, – I just lost it here. To the – this afternoon, there is a – Another session on this afternoon. It's a special part of, of our sacred writings series theme. And, and this is by Brother David Berceau. And he's going to be speaking on the Deuterocanonicals, friend or foe. So that's at 3 p.m. today. And we welcome you back for that. Uh, it will be uh, interesting and engaging. Um, talk on that, I'm sure. So looking forward to that. Uh, thank you, Micaiah. Um, would you lead us in prayer here as we close? Sure. Abba, we are so grateful and blessed by your presence and by your benevolence and all the good that you constantly bestow upon our lives. 
You are the Lord God of all flesh, and there's nothing that's too hard for you. Help us to remember that, to have that as frontless before our eyes, that we'd write these things on the doorpost of our homes, and it'd be a fringe upon our hearts. Please, Father, allow this message to sink deep into our heart and ears and lodge into the very marrow of our bones where we're performing these things, that the muscle memory of our actions are are just geared more and more in areas where we could love people and encourage people and strengthen them. I pray that you'd strengthen the body of Messiah, that you would give them victory and consecration, set them apart for the work that you've called us to do. We were built and born for a movement, really like a countercultural movement. You want us to be a peculiar, a treasured people that we just show forth the gifts and glory and mercy of your salvation. So help us, Father, please. We're desperate and we need you. Bless strength to strength, Father, and those who listen, that you would provoke them to love and to good works, to obedience, that they would be under the altar as ashes, offering up the best of their lives to you, like the sacrifices in the temple were always young, Let the youth offer up their lives in their youth. They would consecrate themselves and give them purpose, give them movement, give them dedication, rid them and deliver them from just the right hand of falsehood, Father, from just the snares of the devil, from the things of this world that seek to choke out your presence and We ask these things in the merits and in authority of your son who loved us and gave himself for us. Yeshua, Jesus' name, we give praise and thanks to you. Amen. It's been a blessing to have you to be on here this morning and and look forward to seeing some of you again this afternoon. So blessings. All the best. Shalom. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.